Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, Episode 175. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I believe that life is too short not to express the innate creativity inside of you. So I wrote a book called The Creative Sandbox Way, based around 10 guideposts that I developed to get myself out of creative stuck and back to the sense of playful creativity that I naturally had when I was a four-year-old. That book was just the tip of the iceberg. I continue the conversation each week with this podcast. Let's jump in. I just got back a week ago from Europe, two weeks in Paris, which was amazing, and a long weekend in Basel, Switzerland, which was also amazing. And I would say, and my husband agrees, that it was our best vacation ever, built around five days at a conference, which was one of my best conferences ever. And all of this, despite my being on crutches from the fourth day on. (laughs) Yes, I was on crutches the whole time. Because I was hit with a raging case of Achilles tendonitis. I won't go into details, just it was really frustrating, really annoying, really challenging. But it did not dampen the wonderfulness of being in Paris and Basel. So that was good. Anyway, now I'm home. And if you're listening to this on the day that it's going live, September 12th, I am off again, because it's the first day of my sixth annual Creative Sandbox Retreat, which is something that I look forward to every year. I mean, I count the days to this retreat, because seriously, it is one of my favorite weeks of the year. It's like an island of time where all of us at the retreat get to focus on nothing but our creative play. It's pretty magical. It's like this deep dive into our creative thing. And I'm telling you about it because, I mean, obviously it's too late for you to come. (laughs) But last month, at the beginning of August, I started an experiment running the quote unquote, day camp version of creative sandbox retreat as a community building event at my synagogue at Chaim in Palo Alto, California, and it went great. So we're doing it again. And it's open to the public. It's called at Chaim creative sandbox play day. And the next one is on Sunday, October 14th from 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. in Palo Alto, California at Etzheim, the synagogue. And just like at my Creative Sandbox retreat, you can come work on whatever creative project you want. Or if you don't have a creative project, you can just come play with my art supplies or bring your own art supplies, whatever. Or come write, work on some poems or sort your photos or anything you want to do. The goal 
The whole point is to get you doing something creative, get you playing for the day. And it's only $25. Or if you're a member of the synagogue, look in the e-newsletter that comes out every week to find a special code that you can use to save $18 because synagogue members only pay for a little token snack fee, snack and materials fee. In any case, come play in the creative sandbox with us and refresh your creative spirit. That's what I wanted to share. And you get a little taste of what it's like to be at creative sandbox retreat, uh, creative sandbox retreat. And now on with today's episode, which is a conversation with Johanna Watt. Enjoy. Johanna Walker is the fear-blasting, storytelling maven for entrepreneurs and people with a mission, also known as a public speaking coach. She co-produces and co-hosts Truth Be Told, a popular storytelling event in Boulder, Colorado, and is the founder of Women Who Speak, a transformational speaker coaching program for female leaders. She's written and performed solo theater pieces that she's toured throughout the U.S. and Canada and has worked with adolescent girls, women in jail, and corporate execs over and over witnessing the transformative power of telling our stories and speaking our truths. Welcome, Johanna. I am so excited to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So first thing I wanted to ask you is, how did you become a fear-blasting storytelling maven for entrepreneurs and people with a mission? Well, I have a long history of not speaking. As a young person, I was a quiet girl. I was a quiet, well-behaved, good-to-the-bone good <laughs> girl. I, you know, Me my too. Job, <laughs> my job was to get the right answer. And so I figured out, I was pretty good at figuring out what the right answer was. And then I would deliver the right answer. Or if I didn't have the right answer, if I wasn't 100% sure I had the right answer, I stayed quiet. Oh my God, that was me. Yeah, that was generally the best way because of course I was never 100% sure that I had the right answer. So I had always, I'd always been a writer. I wrote, I have stacks and stacks of journals, diaries. I had always kept, kept journals, diaries as a young person, as a kid. And then I transitioned to journals, but I was always a writer and I would, as a young adult, I would go to poetry readings and listen to a lot of poetry readings. And once I volunteered, I was living in Kent, Ohio, and there was the 20th anniversary of the Kent State shootings. And they did the 48 hour poetry commemoration poetry event and so I raised my hand to read somebody else's poem because poets from all over the world sent in poems to be read by local poets so I raised my hand I said I can read somebody else's poem and when I got to the mic they said I, I was like you haven't given me your po the poem yet and they said we thought you were reading your own poem oh my god and I just like <laughs> completely complete panic like I just wanted to run out of the room and uh I scurried through my notebook and pulled a poem. And at that point, my poems, a lot of my writing was about my story of silence, of not speaking. And so I read this poem and the room was completely still. 
And I had this incredible experience of hearing my voice in the microphone and hear, I could feel my voice resonating in the room and I could feel the story landing in the hearts of the people in the audience. And I was like, wow. And then people came up to me and said, thank you so much. That's my story too. And I was like, wait, what? Really? I had been in this little bubble of goodness and isolation and quietness. And to speak it was all of a sudden, oh my God, other people have that story too. So that sort of cracked the door. I started reading more poems and started telling my story. And that was sort of phase one of getting to be the fear, fear blasting storytelling maven and and in that at that time in my life I was poetry readings and theater I was doing solo performance I was dancing so I got really comfortable being an artist on stage and then I was teaching this solo performance making class and one of my students was invited to give a TEDx talk and she said will you coach me and I was like sure I'll see what I can do so I coached her and had a great time and had a lot to bring. So I brought a lot of my theater work to the speaking stage. And then that, and I thought, wow, I could do this. So I started, I hung my shingle as a speaking coach and started working in the business community, working with other TEDx speakers. And there I was a public speaking coach. Now I was working at the time I was at the beginning, I was working with a public speaking coach. And he said at one point, now you're going to have to go out and speak. Mm. And I was like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. I'm not a speaker. I can help people speak, but I don't have anything to say. (laughs) (laughs) I had a whole nother just like mountain to climb and owning my own identity as a speaker. So wait a minute, you were working with a speaking coach, but you didn't have any plans to speak. No, he was just kind of helping me with, he also had a theater background. He was kind of helping me with how to build the business, how to use my theater skills in the speaking world. And I was like, that's fine. I'm just going to help other people speak, but I'm not a speaker. Oh, that's so interesting. So you had this, you knew you wanted to help other people speak, but you, you were like, yeah, I'll help you speak, but I'm not going to speak myself. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had nothing to say. I mean, that was like, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to me that I actually thought I could be a, now from this end of my business, that I thought I could be a public speaking coach without ever getting on stage and speaking. I know. I but know. I, I know. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking is how interesting that, that you would think that people would come to you to hire, to hire them <laughs> when you're not up there speaking yourself, because that's what most people look for, right? They're like, oh, yeah. she's doing this amazing thing. I want to do it just like her. Yeah. I mean, I had been a starving artist for many years and had no clue about the world of business. I was sure. really coming from a different a, a place of like, sure, I can be a public speaking coach. Like I had no idea what I was getting into. Right. That was what- well, that's yeah. so common for so many creatives, right? We We go into... We get into the business side of things because we love the creative thing that we're doing. And we think, oh, well, I'll just turn this into my, into my business. Yeah. Without any understanding of the, the business and the marketing and all of that. That's, right. that's just like cookie cutter that. <laughs> that's every creative <laughs> who's ever wanted to, to like turn their creative thing into a business. <laughs> Be included. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. you know, your story is really one of 
teaching what you need to learn. Totally. Which is, yeah. I mean, I resonate yeah. with that so much because that's exactly how my, you know, what I'm doing now, that's exactly where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so, I was pretty comfortable on stage through the theater work that I had done and the poetry, like I was comfortable on stage and I was comfortable with my voice, but I still believed I had nothing to say. Yeah. I really believed I had nothing to say. Like in a, in a sort of creative way, I could tell a story and I could read a poem, but when as a speaker, I had to like have an idea and I had to have authority and I had this idea that, I, you know, that's not me. Yeah. And so for me to come around to really a lot of having my business has been recognizing my genius as a speaker and recognizing what I do have to say and that what I have to say is rooted in my story. Yes. It all, you know, it still comes back around to my story and how I got here and my experience and what has kept me from telling my story, what has kept me from speaking, like what I have to say, I think that's true for all of us is what we have to say often just goes right to the wounded place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to go back just a tiny bit though. You say you were, you were comfortable being on stage and you were comfortable performing, but is, was that always true for you? No. As a young person, I avoided it at all costs. Mm. I was the quiet girl in the back of the room. My sister was a theater person and she sort of got dibs on theater. <laughs> and <laughs> I was the quiet good, the girl. But I, you know, sometimes in church, I would like read a scripture, you know, or I would have to like, like I could do it. Yeah. I could do it. I had presence, I had poise. But I, I hated it. I was terrified. It was, it was just like covered. I was covered in humiliation and shame and dread and terror and just like, no way. How did that change for you? I think it changed that day I read that poem. Mm. Because it was one, hearing my voice in the microphone fill the room and feeling the resonance. I could feel the connection with people. So all of a sudden I wasn't alone. Oh, wow. And then also seeing that my story, that the thing I had to say was my story and telling, being really vulnerable about speaking about silence and speaking about my experience of not speaking. Yeah. Was the thing I had to say and resonated with so many women. And but you had done you had performed before this. Yes. But you had performed like in in scripted plays and things. Some scripted plays but also a lot of original work but something was really different. Oh at that point no. No, at that point no. When I first read that poem, I was the girl in the background. No, it was I, then that I started doing theater. And at that point my oh. theater was a lot of personal stories, but still it was in the context of creativity and theater, which is, which is different, was different for me than standing on stage and giving a talk. Mm. I'm trying to relate this to my own life of, cause you mentioned that you had a, done dance as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was, that, was that before or after the, the poem? It was after the poem. 
It was after the poem. So how old were you when you did the poem? I was like 23, 24. Okay. Because I started dancing, you know, old for the dance world. I was 16 when I really dove into dance. And when I graduated from college, I went to Juilliard for one year, but I really went to UC Berkeley and that's where I graduated from. And I ended up being one of three people to give the valedictory address, which of my, my major. Mm-hmm. And we, we, there was um, some kind of a, there was like a call for proposals or whatever to submit your proposal to be the, the person to do the valedictory address for the social science field major. And there were, I don't know, 400 people in the major or something like that. And I happened to be in this group of people writing our honors theses together. And three of us who were in writing our group together, because we, we didn't have any, we were sort of like the misfits that didn't fit in any other, in our, any other group. I was writing my major on fairy tales and the socialization of women. Karen Sue was writing hers on college student sexuality. And John was writing his on gangs and represented in the media. And we didn't fit in any other group. So we were just sort of randomly stuck together. And we submitted a proposal to jointly do the valedictory address, talking about how our writing the, you know, writing our thesis together, like it all, we were able to have all these insights about how we were all dealing with the same issues. Uh We were all looking at the same studies and I don't know, I don't even remember. It was so long ago now. And, and we were in a field major in a, an interdisciplinary major, social, social sciences. It wasn't like English or, sociology or rhetoric or whatever. It was a combination. And so the powers that be really liked our proposal. Wow. So I got to get up on stage in Zellerbach Hall, UC Berkeley, in front of 1,100 people and have, you know, three and a half, three and a third minutes or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my first real big public speaking experience Mm -hmm. at age 21 or whatever it was. You know, I, I, I'm sure I was not very good, but, you know, I was reading off of my three by five cards or whatever, but it was very powerful. And I had been a dancer and that, that had been my, you know, that had been my art form and that had been where I connected with people. And that had been like my, where I got my big high from performing. And then I'd gotten injured and I thought, well, that was it. You know, I had my passion and now I'm going to live the rest of my life in shades of gray. And then I had this big high experience of getting up on stage in front of 1,100 people in Zellerbach Hall. And I was like, wow, that was amazing. Uh-huh. I want more of that. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't, well, I mean, it was my story, but it wasn't, it wasn't like your experience with the poem. It wasn't <laughs> like that level of really opening my heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm sharing my story in that kind of way. I, you know, it took me another probably, God, 20 years to do that. <laughs> yeah, I have, you know, back to the, the dance piece, I started dancing even way late in life. Like it was my late 20s that I started. Mm. And it was improv, it was contact improv. And 
I really found a whole new way of speaking as a, as a deeply introverted person and a very quiet person. Finding dance was another whole revolutionary thing to be yeah. able to communicate and have a voice through dance was a big part of what got me back to my speaking voice. What gave me a voice was like, Oh, I am alive in the world and I have a body and I can speak in my body, you know, and so as, and that has stayed with it. And a lot of the work I do now with clients is very physical. Mm. It's like getting connected to the body and getting connected to the breath and the voice and the physicality. And, you know, so that when you're on stage, all that fear, like we get so caught in like the stories in our head, but it's like dropping it down into the body. It's just energy. It's yes. And, and uh, you know, so for me, connecting to my body through dance was a huge way of connecting to my voice and my power. I can totally see that. The retreats that I run, my I have a five-day retreat that I run in the fall, my creative sandbox retreat, and I have a play day, a half-day retreat that I'm doing for the first time in uh, the first weekend in August. And one of the things that I do as part of these, I call them creative catalyzing sessions. And they're basically improv games that mm -hmm. I do with people to get us into our bodies mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and out of our heads yeah. and scare the gremlins away. And I have people who've been coming to my retreats every year that I've done them who say that that is their favorite part of the entire retreat where, you know, the, the point is for them to come and work on their creative projects, you know, mm -hmm. really dive in mm -hmm. to their mm -hmm. art, whatever it is, writing or painting or mosaics or whatever it is they're working on. And I have people who say like, that's their favorite part is the, the, the time where we're getting into our bodies and we're laughing like crazy, you know, mm -hmm. because it is like, that is the time where we get out of fear because you can't be in fear and be in that, that play state at the same, at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that play state is just such an open door. It's such a, I don't know. It's just a doorway into a different room where totally so much. We get so much more of ourselves. Yes, that is exactly it. It's like that when, when we're in that play state, it's like it allows our full authentic selves to show up. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's, yeah. And it's parts of ourselves that don't get a lot of airtime. Well, you know, for mostly like we go around in our little boxes of like being professional and doing the things we think we're supposed to do. And then, and then we come out and play and it's like, oh, there I am. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I think that's a great way to just like crack the fear. Yeah. Well, you, you have no power over that. Yeah. Play is bigger than fear. <laughs> yes. Play is stronger. Play is more powerful than fear. Play is mightier. <laughs> Play is mightier than fear. Yes. Have you seen that video of the the dogs and the polar bear? Uh-uh. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. There are it's it's this fantastic video of a polar bear approaching. It looks like it's about to come eat these dogs, these huskies that are tied up. And you think, oh, well, it's all over. This, this polar bear is going to make a snack of these huskies. But then the huskies go into the, the puppy bow, the play bow that, that dogs go into, you know, with their butt up in the air. 
and the the waggy tail uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and they start to play it's amazing look it up on youtube it's That's amazing phenomenal awesome. the the play instinct in mammals uh. is so powerful and i don't know how what led these dogs to go into a play bow instead of like cowering in front of this polar bear but it saved their lives because the polar bear clearly looked like it was stalking them but play is mightier than fear just like and play can save our lives literally literally yeah 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 well you wrote when you sent me an email and you you said you 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 said i like to talk about fear as a learned pattern that has served us well and now it's no longer serving us since fear patterns are rigid and stubborn taking them head on taking them on head on sometimes make them makes them lock down even stronger creative play is a great way to go in through the back door and shake those patterns loose wake up expressive possibilities and turn the fear into usable energy. So talk about how, like specifically, how do you like to do that? Well, I have a program here in Boulder, a live program called the Speaker's Playground. Mm. And it's so fun. I love the name. Yeah. Yeah. And I call it Johanna style Toastmasters. And and we do a lot, like I'm really learning in doing this. I'm just really seeing, we do a lot of improv. We do, we get out of our comfort zone, a lot of work, physical work, vocal work that doesn't look like public speaking training. Yeah. But it's fun. It's sometimes embarrassing. It's goofy. It's, it's vulnerable. It's playful. And I, I can really see how, then we also look at straight up public speaking skills. We, you know, get to get on our feet in front of each other and, and, and try stuff. But I feel like that works because we're doing this backdoor work. We're doing this playful, you know, yeah, we're just doing this physical vocal play. Mm-hmm. And I think it just wakes up so much. So there's no room, there's no room for fear. And then when you're on the stage speaking, there's just, you know, I think you just have more access to yourself, yeah. to more of yourself, just as, as we've talked about. And, and there's just a way to turn that fear that fear is energy. It's just energy. It, it's a story. You know, it's a story we have in our head. But when we can let go of the story, drop into our breath and our body, our voice, then the fear is no longer a story. It's just energy. And we can play with it. Yeah. Yeah, so true. I took uh, many years ago, I took a number of impact self-defense classes where the male instructors wear these these padded armor suits and these enormous duct tape padded helmets. So you get to use full force fighting techniques. And we would have these, these graduations where we could invite supporters to come and watch our final fights. And, you know, every time you go on the mat to have a fight, after you've been trained and everything, well, even before you get trained, every time you get on the mat to, to face a quote unquote mugger, one of these you know, male instructors in the padded armor, it's terrifying. And especially so at graduation, when you've got people watching you, you've got your friends and your family there, right? 
and <laughs> you have to go out on the mat and have a practice fight and you you know ideally they set you up where you don't know what's going to happen so it's it's really terrifying so before <laughs> before before the graduation everybody's in some side room and the the uh the, the female instructor is giving you a, giving us all a pep talk and they talk about the butterflies in your stomach and how of course mm -hmm. it's normal everybody has butterflies in their stomach before something like this and the trick is to get the butterflies to fly in mm. then. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that so much because you're yeah. going to have those butterflies. Right. Yeah, that's what I talk about a lot is not making the fear a problem. Yeah. What happens is it comes, it's, it's uncomfortable. It, it's like, oh shit, there it is. Uh, you know, I have to figure out how to make this go away. Right. I have to stuff it down. I have to put a lid on it. So then we hold our breath and tighten our belly and like, just like, you know, right. hold on as for dear life. Which doesn't help. <laughs> doesn't help. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we make it a problem and try to make it go away. And I think the more that we can meet it and befriend it, and receive it and let it be part of your humanity. Yeah. Then you get to bring, I, I was, I gave a talk. This is, I just had my speaker's playground last night and I was talking about a really, really scary talk that I gave a few years ago. And it was a big audience and it was a edgy topic for me. And I was really nervous and I could feel in, in we watched the talk last night and you know, I could hear the nervousness in my voice, but it also, I could see the vulnerability and how, because I didn't shut it down, it helps me bring more of my humanity into the room. Yeah. You know, so I think being willing to let the fear be part of our physical, part of our presence, part of our breath, part of our voice, our body, it, it lets you bring more of your humanity into the room. And that's what we want. We want to be connected as humans. Yes. Oh my gosh. I also noticed in my, in my years as a jazz singer performing, you know, when, when you don't have any of that feeling of butterflies, feeling of nervousness, when there's none of that, then your performance is, really flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's like it, if you don't have any, any fear at all, any nervousness at all, then it's like this performance doesn't mean anything to you. Like connecting to these people is not at all important to you. You know, like right. the more, right. the more fear you're experiencing the more important that particular yeah. performance is. Yeah, yeah. I often talk about fear as a doorway. It's information. And if we yeah. can walk through the doorway rather than close that door, if we can walk through that doorway, there's, you know, gold. It's because your genius wants to express itself. It's because, you know, there's a connection that wants to be made. And that's vulnerable. That's scary. Yeah. I, I often talk to people about how the resistance that people experience around their, whatever their creative expression is, whether it's 
you know, painting or writing or performing or what, whatever form it takes, so often people resist it, right? They, they avoid doing it. And often people ask me, well, does that mean, or they have their friend, their friends and family who think they're being helpful say, well, it must mean that you don't care about it, that you really don't want to do it. That's must be why you're, you know, if you really wanted it, you'd be doing it easy, right? So it must mean that you, you don't want it that much. No, just the opposite. You're yeah. resisting it because you want it so badly. Yeah. That's why that's why you're afraid of it because you want it so badly. And Angie, just our beloved studio audience member here, just typed in the text chat. There's a fine line between fear and excitement. Mm-hmm. Anticipation. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and the other thing is like there, there's one thing saying that is one thing and like hanging the quote on your wall is one thing and then embodying it is a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. Like I can say, yeah, fear and excitement are the same thing. But then when I'm like about to get up on stage, it's like, this is fear. I'm out of here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's so true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's being willing over and over to face that and welcome that and practice. It takes practice to unravel those, you know, those patterns. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And create some new pathways. Yeah. And it's one thing to, this is something else I discovered when I was performing as a musician. It's one thing to, you know, play guitar and sing in your living room, but it's a completely different thing to play guitar and sing in front of an audience. And if you want to get good at performing in front of an audience, you have to perform in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. It's a di- that is in itself is a different yeah. skill. Yeah. And you can you can get really good at playing guitar and singing in front of your cat, but that's not going to translate in front of an audience until you start practicing in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. So all those skills that you learned with your fingers and your voice <laughs> are going to completely go away for the first dozen times you try right. to do them in right. front of a live audience of human beings because it's a different skill set. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and people, I think, mm-hmm. often don't really get that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they're mm-hmm. so, so afraid, I know I was, of getting up in front of a group of people. So it's easier to do it in your living room. So you just mm-hmm. stay mm-hmm. with what's easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another thing that you wrote, Johanna, is how we all have stories that can make a difference in someone else's life if we tell them. And you really experienced that when you shared that poem in this like emergency moment. Exactly. (laughs) You were sort of forced to do that. And thank goodness that you were because it really changed your life and it changed other people's lives as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, n- not everybody has that emergency moment where they're forced to share a story like that. So how do we get people to share their stories? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, it's interesting because that has happened to me in a couple of different iterations in my career as I've moved forward. Like the, the talk I, I, I was just talking about that I uh, shared last night from three years ago was also a very vulnerable talk. 
It was a very vulnerable talk about a personal journey in my life. And I was absolutely terrified. I woke up that morning and I was like pulling the covers over my head, trying to figure out how to get out of it, trying to figure out an excuse. And I was just like, Johanna, you don't have to do this. Why do you think you have to put yourself out there like this? Why do you always think you have to take risks like this? Just get, you don't have to do it. You know, <laughs> you're, you're crazy. Why are you doing this? Cause I was just like churning inside, just churning with anxiety and stress and fear. And I ended up going, I didn't cancel. <laughs> <laughs> and beforehand, you know, I'm in the, in the, I was doing all the practices that I do work with my clients. And ultimately when I, even when I'm standing backstage ready to get on stage and give the talk, I was wanted, part of me was wanting to run. But I, in that moment, connected with the fact that there was, or the belief that there was one person in the audience who needed to hear my talk that day. Mm. That I had heard a talk that had impacted me and that had touched me deeply, that inspired me to give this talk. And I believed, I trusted that there was at least one person in the audience who needed to hear my talk that day. And for that person, I got on stage and gave the talk. Yeah. And it was the moment when I really got in my bones that it's not about me. Mm. You know, we go out there and we think like, I have to be awesome and I want everybody to think I'm awesome and blah, blah, blah. But really, it's not about me. Yeah. It's about the person in the audience that my story is going to impact. And, and I gave that talk. And in fact, there was more than one person in the audience who was touched. And, and the talk has had a, a, it's a life of its own because it has touched, you know, now it's on video and it's touched a lot more people. And so it's really seeing how telling our stories, we think they don't matter. This is just about me or it's too weird or it's too dark or it's too personal or it's too something. There's some reason not to tell it. But when you can really get like, this is not about me, this is a gift. And then it's just like, here we go. Who knows how it's going to land? Who knows the ripple it's going to have? I'm giving it and here it goes. I love that so much. And that's something that I need to remind myself <clears throat> of just all the time because I, I tend to get so stuck in my ego and stuck in my head and stuck in, oh, this is not good enough and stuck in, you know, all the gremlin chatter. And when I can just, you know, step outside of that distress, you know, and remind myself that it's not about me, that it's about the person or people, even if it's just one, Mm -hmm. that this help, that this is going to make a difference for, then all of that ego crap can just melt away. And I can be so grounded in, in just present time, you know, and just what I'm here to do, which is not to impress anybody, but to share, you know, to make a difference, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to share a story that's going to make a difference. That, that's what I'm here to do. Not, not to like, look how great I am or something. That's not what it's about. Yeah. 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 Look how great I am. Or look at all the traumatic things that I've had to deal with in my life or yeah. look at the struggle that I've overcome. 
Like those are all interesting stories and valuable stories, but it's, it's being able to tell the story. It's being able to get to find the universal gem in the story. Well, and also, you know, you touched on something that I think is one of the things that keeps people from sharing their stories because people think, well, I don't have a, a uber traumatic thing that I've overcome. I didn't lose all four limbs and end up climbing Mount Everest or, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, I'm not an Olympic triple gold medalist who then, I don't know, made five gazillion dollars and started 25 startups or I don't know, whatever, create the crazy story that whoever is speaking on, you know, the top stages is, is telling whatever. I don't have the rags to riches story. I don't have the whatever story, but it's not about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's about, it's about showing your humanity. Yeah. And that comes in so many different packages and so many different benign, just sometimes the benign moments of our days are powerful stories. A story is a transformation. It's a change. Something is different at at the end than it was at the beginning. So something changes. Stories are about people with problems. No problem, no story. You know, so the story is about how do we deal with the problems? Even if it's just a mini problem, like I was making a bologna sandwich and I didn't have a mayonnaise, you know? So it's like, it could be that, or it can be, you know, I fell off my mountain bike and broke my neck. So the range of stories is so wide. And, but the goal is in showing your humanity and your, you know, that, that we as humans, everybody, we get up in the morning and we put our two feet on the ground and we go out and we do our days. And sometimes the story is just, I got up this morning and I put my two feet on the ground and I walked outside the door and how you show up inside your story is what allows you to make a connection, a human connection. Yeah. And that's what it's about is the human connection. Absolutely. And I, I was going to say, you know, that piece, the human connection piece is so key because people are going to be able to relate to, you know, you, you, whoever's listening, you might think, Oh, I'm just regular Josephina or whatever. I don't have some crazy, wild, amazing story to tell, but other people are going to be able to relate to you where they might not be able to relate to somebody who has some crazy, wild story because they might think, well, I'm not like them, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So that person in a way has a hard task because they're going to have to take that crazy, wild, amazing story and find a way to make it relatable. Whereas you, me, whatever, regular old person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We can be more relatable because we're more relatable right off the bat. As long as we show our humanity, like you said. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes, you know, I, I do this women who speak program for a group of women. It's a, it's a retreat and we dive into telling your story and crafting a talk And there's always, you know, part of it is a dig. We do a dig and we dig because some people come in thinking, this is the story I want to tell, like really clear. This is, this is, this is the direction I'm going. And often like we do a dig, we do a dig, we do a dig. And then recently 
this got named a fuck nugget. <laughs> it's when you're digging and you think this is the story you're, t- you're going to tell. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, fuck. What story I have to tell? You know? <laughs> and it's kind of like a story that's been lurking under the surface that you think is just between you and your mirror, you know, or whatever. And being willing to go in that direction and kind of peel away some of the layers those are often the stories people want to hear because those are the stories that we don't easily tell. Yeah. And those are the stories that open doors for other people to tell, to say, Oh, I'm just like you. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're doing this, all this digging, I would imagine that you have activities that you that you have people do to to bring out their creativity. Yeah. I know we were talking before before we got started about how creativity it thrives when it's contained. Mhm. Mhm. I was just ha- I was just on a rally call just yesterday for in my creative sandbox community. We have calls twice a month. I call them rally calls. And we were talking about how one of my members is is about to start up a new group inside the community. Members can start up groups whenever they want and to to meet. And, and I have a dedicated Zoom room that members can use. And we were talking about how important it is to have, like, why people use creative prompts, right? Because just like, oh, write about anything is paralyzing. Or paint anything is just like, ah, where do I start? But if you give somebody some kind of container. Yeah. 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 So in we do, uh, it's interesting because containers for me, as I said, when we first started talking, really help me with the more it's, it's like the more clear the limitation is, the more room there is for me to push up against the edges and feel my fullness and, you know, push the edges out a little. Yeah. So I have a lot of exercise, a lot of writing prompts that aren't, don't appear directly about the talk that I'm giving, but, or the talk that, you know, the person who's working Mm. on it is going to give, but it's, it's, it's about peeling away the layers and digging into who I am because it's the talk I only, I can give, Mm -hmm. you know, what is the talk that, because, you know, we've all, a lot of people are saying the same thing. You know, people come to me and say, oh, so-and-so already said it. So why should I say it? Like a lot of people are out there saying the same thing, right? But each person gets to say it because I have lived a certain path and a certain story to get me to this moment. So I have something different to say. Right. So yeah, doing those creative prompts that aren't, don't on the surface look like they're this is heading me in the direction of the talk, but it's about peeling away layers, waking up more of who I am, revealing more of the story I want to tell. Yeah. And then also we do a lot on, because I do so much work in the body, we do a lot of exercises on your feet with your voice, with your body in a very kind of playful improvisational way where it's like, you know, we, when I start writing a talk and when I'm working with a client, it's not let's open your computer and start the PowerPoint, you know, it's Mm -hmm. let's get on your feet and hear your voice and your body and your heart and, and bring all that into the room because that's all of who you are and what you want to bring to the stage. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It sounds amazing. I would love to do one of your retreats. Sound great. 
Yeah, it's, I love it. I love getting to be in a container with a small group of women and just like go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sounds so great. Yeah. So how can people find you? Where, where can they find you online? Johannawalker.com is my website. And I have uh, at johannawalker.com forward slash sandbox. I'll share a class. I have a free video class called Ignite Your Speaking Power. Oh, great. And you know, I always say, one of the things I say is a great talk is part one part engineering, one part mystery and magic, and one part showing up. Oh, so love it. in the class, we cover engineering, sort of the nuts and bolts of what's the journey you want to take your audience on and how are you going to get there and, you know, the kind of the math and engineering of it. And then the mystery and the magic, the heart, the intuition, like communication is a mystery. We have no idea how it's going to land and who it's going to touch. And we have no idea just like how, how creativity really works. And so to be able to surrender to that and allow the magic in. And then the third piece is showing up. Like if you don't show up, it's not going to happen. So, <laughs> so it's showing up to the process, but then also in the deliver when you're giving the talk, it's showing up in your full body and breath and voice and heart. Yeah. So the class covers, you know, we go through each of those three pieces, the engineering, oh. the mystery, showing up. Fantastic. I'm definitely signing up for that. I'm giving a talk at Tribe Conference, Jeff Goins' conference in October. So uh, I have to go through your class and see how it applies to my my talk, which I'm currently working on re-tweaking and revising and preparing. So So, uh, I think you brought a something cool. Did you not? Oh, yeah. I was just thinking of something that's not a product. Perfect. And, you know, as I, as I said, I love containers. I love containers. And one of the things I'm always playing with is containers for conversations. Mm. And so this I came across from Stella Orange, who's a copywriter that I've worked with. And she called it the Y game, which I just played. I was camping with a friend last week and we played the why game and it's um i say something and you say why and then i answer the question and then you say why is that why is that why is that like i said so this is what we did this weekend when i was camping the my partner who i was with said i'm going to build a fire and i said why is that and he answered and then i said why is that so it's it was so fun to just really dig into the why to be the annoying two-year-old but then to have to answer those questions like why are you building a fire why do you want to be warm why do you want and so the things that we just assume often the assumptions that we make about why we're doing things we don't necessarily think about and it was just so fun to I play the why game and that's so great that was sort of a structure we were, we were with for the whole weekend was why is that why is that oh why is that why is that <laughs> It reminds me of, uh, so my mom just celebrated her 80th birthday and for her birthday, I created with, with assistance from my brother and his family and my husband, a book. I did all the design work and I initiated it. 80 reasons why we love you, mom. 
and my and I got my brother to get his family to contribute, and my husband and I each wrote. We all wrote reasons, and one of the reasons that my brother sent, they they wrote all their reasons on a flight to Tokyo. So I got an email after they they'd arrived. I got an email on the Saturday morning before her birthday, and one of the reasons was because you answered why longer than possibly anyone. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, I think my mom was responding to a lot of those. Why's that? Why? Why? Why is that? Why is that? (laughs) I love that. I'm going to play that with my husband. We, we, we play a lot of goofy and other kinds of games together. So I think he would really appreciate that one. That's really fun. Yeah. Great. That's, I like getting idea something cools. So yay for you for providing an idea something cool. Buy something cool this week is something that I think I saw. Oh, I think my husband must have sent this to me because it's from Reddit. My, my husband is really uh, on Reddit a lot. And this is a, an article video thing uh, about a guy who, when he was 17, he lost both of his legs in a climbing accident and he became an engineer in order to design prosthetics. And he did. He created prosthetic legs that are amazing. They, are, they behave like legs. They don't look like legs. They, they behave like legs. They're responsive. They actually somehow connect with his brain waves. Wow. And yeah, wow is they're incredible. There's a video. I will connect a link up in the show notes. And there's lots of images of him and other people using these legs that like you can climb with them, you can run up the stairs, you can they showed somebody on a treadmill running with these legs. They showed somebody, a woman dancing, wearing one of these legs in, you know, like ballroom dancing with somebody, like competitive ballroom dancing or something. They're unbelievable. They're like, um, like you imagine, you know, way off in the future, people like cyborg, you know, combination human robot combinations. That's what these legs are. They're unbelievable. They look nothing like human legs. They're really bizarre looking. They're, you know, robotic looking. They don't look like human legs at all, but they're, they function. uh, They're just, it's just totally mind blowing. So it got me very, very excited. So that's my something cool this week. That's awesome. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Johanna, I am just thrilled to get a chance to meet you and to have you on the podcast and to listen to your wisdom and your creativity just like pouring out of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great talking. I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, me too. World of creativity. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Our two playgrounds intersecting. Yeah. Yes. Thanks a lot. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Johanna Walker. Let me know if you resonated. And thank you so much for joining me today. If you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend. 
And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment to hop on over to iTunes, the Apple podcast player, and leave a rating and review. If you don't know how to do that, I got you covered. Just go to creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. Super important, super important, (laughs) those reviews, because that's how other people find the show. When people are looking for a podcast to listen to, podcasts that have more positive reviews show up higher in the search results. So leaving a review, a sentence or two about what you like about the podcast really makes a big difference on helping other people find the show. And if you email me to let me know that you left a review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your own life, that's how you can apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. If I pick you, we'll have a really fun, relaxed conversation And you'll get to be featured on the podcast, just like Johanna Walker was. How cool is that? So that is it. Thank you so much. Until next time, thanks again for joining me. And go get creating. Subscribe at creativesandboxway.com slash podcast.